Are you ready? It's time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. You heard it. It is time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gray, here with my co-host, Tom Abbey. Cheers, everyone. And uh, we're off and running, finally, um, after a couple hours of technical difficulties here. A uh, little soundboard issue, our power supply burnout. So here we are. Yeah, uh, light, lightning's a son of a bitch. It is. We had we had some uh, brutal weather here this week at times, and uh, it seemed to cause a little problem on this end, but we're good now. Absolutely. And we have a lot to do today. We sure do, Tom. Give us a rundown. Uh, first, we'll recap last week, and then we're going to talk about the 3M Open. We're going to preview the Big Ten football season. Then we're going to talk about some baseball, giving our divisional winners as we get ready to start that season. And then we're going to talk about UFC, and we're going to wrap it up with our top 20 fantasy wide receivers. This should be an interesting list. I know there's a lot of options when you start talking top 20 wide receivers. Yeah, and, you know, let's kick it off with some of the uh, some of the stuff that we're going to be doing here moving forward. First things first, we put together a spreadsheet today. We'll be sharing data from that spreadsheet continuously um, regarding our gambling prowess. Um we're going to talk about how many units we would wager on each bet. And let me give you a little background on how that typically works. We're starting with a $5,000 bankroll. And one unit for a $5,000 bankroll would be $100. That's 2% of your bankroll. We're going to make these wagers. We can choose to bet five wager, or five units or one unit on each wager that we want to make. And we're going to track the progress for you guys and see how we do. Yep. If we if we bust out, you know, then so be it but we're gonna we're gonna show you guys where we start uh kicking off probably with baseball and ufc this weekend absolutely and getting a good idea and maybe even some some small you know half unit bets or something on uh, some projected winners for the pga events this weekend so uh this should be a fun little addition to what we're doing every week and we'll track that for you so you can see exactly how you would be doing if you just followed what we give you every week yeah absolutely we're here for the information you know you might not always agree with our picks you might go the other way but we want to show the throughout time our progress and how much we can make you to, to show that you're not wasting your time uh, sitting and listening to us every week. And we don't even really want you to just tail every pick. We want to give yeah. you the reason why we made each selection more than anything else. Not that, oh, I like this guy because of his odds. No, well, I think that this guy has a chance in this fight because of this. Yeah. And if you think that that information isn't valuable to you and you want to go the other way, that's fine, uh, but we've had a lot of success in, in giving out winners in that in that fashion, and hopefully the information is more important than just the end result, but you know, we'll see how we do as we go. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Memorial Tournament last week, uh, the course. Before we do, okay. I just want to celebrate uh, the Twitter lineup that I gave out on Saturday for the UFC. So... I said uh, this is my favorite lineup, Kevin's favorite DK lineup this week, and that lineup went six for six. Uh, all six selections came out on top. Now it wasn't the greatest uh, point values. Um, I did make a small profit on it. It was, uh, you know, like five times my entry, so that was nice. But it was again an opportunity there that we gave out, you know, five winners, six winners on a on a DraftKings card. Uh, simple as can be. So uh, it was uh, Davison Figueredo, uh, Jack Hermanson, Fiziev, Askar Askarov, who won a controversial decision, if you ask me, and Dawson. 
um, and then uh, Saruki there that, that came out on top. So, you know, a lot of names that we weren't real familiar with, but I did a little research on them leading up to the fights, and that was the one that I felt the best about. So um, you can bet that we're going to celebrate it when we give out six for six on a DraftKings lineup. Yeah, and if you're not following us on Twitter, you really need to be. Kevin and I both post our um, DraftKings lineups. I am a big fan of the golf showdowns day in, day out. I usually post mine uh, the night before. And uh, Kevin has been even dabbling a little bit in NASCAR. And, you know, just, just anything to get us a little action, a little fun in the game. Baseball starting up. I know I'll be dabbling in some baseball lineups as well. Yeah, so now on to the 3M <laughs> the, championship. The memorial. Right? Oh, the memorial. Oh, we're going to review the memorial yes. first. Yeah. So the course was brutally tough at times. Yeah. Uh, especially Saturday. It was real rough. Um, John Rahm wins uh, in doing so, becomes number one in the world. Ryan Palmer, two, Matt Fitzpatrick, three, and then tied for fourth, Matt Wallace and Jason Day. Uh, really nice um, top five finish for, for Jason Day, who I gave out as my, my sleeper pick last week on the podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. so um, the performances were decent this week. Um, Matsuyama did not come through for me at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that in that type of environment where the field is it's so tough, guys are scoring very high. Yeah. It, it's tough sometimes, you know, and, and PGA events are, I think, one of the, the more difficult things to be super successful in just choosing the winner outright. Yeah. That's why we want to give you guys some who are options. And, right. you know, there are options to wager guys finishing top 10 in the event and so forth, and that may be a better angle to use. So um, don't hesitate to look to those angles as well. Um, so just a little comment on, you know, John Rom did have a uh, penalty assessed to him. Um, I think, the, you know, it, the ball definitely moved. There's no question about it. And I think John Rahm's handled it quite well, saying the ball moved. I saw it move. It is what it is. Uh, doesn't hurt when you still win by three strokes after a two-stroke penalty there. Right. So moving on to the 3M Open, I agree with you, by the way, that the ball moved slightly. It's a penalty. It is what it is. Uh, it would have been awful if Palmer had gotten within one stroke of him and it or cost him a victory yeah. or within two. You know, so that's, uh, you know, definitely a touchy situation but you can't ground your club in deep rough like that behind yeah. the ball that's just part of golf the rules of golf yep. 3m yeah so last year was the first year for the 3m open it's tpc twin cities right outside of minnesota st paul uh last year matthew wolf won it bryson DeChambeau and colin morikawa were the runners up so you really see some of the better golfers at the top of this but the score was low matt wolf was minus 21 yeah to win the to win the championship so should be a lot of birdies, a lot of fun as far as that goes. So the betting lines for this week, we've got Dustin Johnson is the favorite at plus 1,000. Brooks Kepka still still getting respect despite his struggles recently. Yeah, he did not look good he last week. He is 151 in the FedEx Cup rankings, and he needs to put his foot on the floor if he wants to make the FedEx Cup playoffs. Right. So I would expect a lot of focus from him, but he also said that he was having problems with his knee still, and that still qu- yeah. wasn't quite right. So... You know that that's I, I'm going to stay away from Brooks Kepka this week just because of his recent struggles and the fact that he doesn't sound very confident right now. Yeah, the the sounding not confident is more um, scary than his actual performance. Guys have bad grounds; they have a course that doesn't fit them. That's fine; you can move on. But when you sound like you can't trust your knee, we all saw this with Tiger Woods in the back. Yeah, when he was at the press conference, like, "Oh, we'll see if I can play tomorrow." It's not going to go well. It's it's a mental game more than a physical game. No question. And now we've got uh, Tony Finau at plus twelve hundred. 
He seems to be playing some pretty strong golf right now. Tommy Fleetwood at plus 1,600. I haven't seen Fleetwood recently out there, but it looks like He hasn't like he's, played since the restart. Yeah. So it looks like who knows what kind of shape his game's going to be in. Uh, probably a risky proposition to get behind yeah. somebody who hasn't played. Paul Casey at plus 1,800. Casey's been playing well up until the Memorial, but it's been playing very well. Yeah, and then behind those top names here, uh, Matthew Wolf, Bubba Watson, uh, Paul Casey, like I said, Lucas Glover, uh, the the names really kind of fall off a little bit here. Where do you have Harris English? Harris English. Let's see what we've got for a price on Harris English. Plus 3,000. So Harris English is plus 3,000 in this event. Then you've got, you know, there are plenty of guys in that plus 5,000 range. Henrik Norlanders plus 5,500. I was just commenting to Tom last weekend how much I love that guy's game. So one of the things I like to do um, is to look at the year previous and see the, the, the individual who won, what did they do well? What did they distinguish themselves from? Uh, last year when Wolf won it, he was number one in tee to green. So that's what I want to look for. Who's very good at tee to green? The number one player on tour in tee to green is Tony Finau, and number two is Harris English. Yeah. So those are would be my two options to you know, Finau a lot shorter odds. Harris English, you're getting a really respectable plus three thousand. Take a piece of each one of them and see, and see what happens there. And Matthew Wolf is a guy that hits it long. Yeah. He's not great around the greens. His short game is his weakness. So I would say that you you don't necessarily need to look to the guys who are great putters in this event yeah. or the guy. It doesn't sound like the greens are super tricky or anything like Just that. Just get it there. Yeah, guys who who stripe it. And maybe guys who have a little pop behind them, so which is why Dustin Johnson's the favorite. <laughs> yeah, I mean that makes total sense yeah. to have somebody like Dustin Johnson. There. And, and then, and this is a a field that's a little slimmed out. Uh, you are missing some of the top players. They're sitting out. Next week is the PGA Championship. You still have some of the guys we've already mentioned. Not going to go over it again. Um, so you still have some of the best uh, in the golf, but maybe a little thinner. So maybe some of these other guys will step up and and get a chance to get that W. Yeah, Doc Redmond's played some pretty good golf. I'm trying to find a sleeper here on, on my card. Um, but plus 5,500 on Henrik Norlander is going to be my play yeah. this week. That, that's one that I'll probably put a small piece on this You're weekend. You're a fan of that guy. Yeah, I think he plays great golf. I think he's ready to break out at some point here very soon. And, um, you know, there are a couple other names on here. A lot of names that you're probably not real familiar with, so... Um, you know, Charlie Hoffman's known as a great ball striker. Yeah. He might be a good price at plus 7,500. Hasn't been playing the best golf, so that's why he's, you get so much value in him. All right, let's move on to the Big Ten. All right, Big Ten football. So we're going to start with the East Division, going with the team that finished last, which is Rutgers. Oh. Rutgers were 2-10 and 10 overall, 0-9 in Big Ten play. They have lost 21 straight Big Ten games, which is yuck. However, however, big return. Greg Schiano comes back to Rutgers, where he brought himself to prominence initially. Yes. And uh, his return in December was it was very exciting for them. And honestly, I think Greg Schiano he kind of got run out, run out of that Tennessee job, and I think that he's got a, a chip on his shoulder here when yeah. he lost. By all accounts, he was going to be hired as the next Tennessee head coach. Yeah. And then they said, ah, you know, Shiano, he's had some shady history or whatever. We don't want him here. And I think that Shiano's going to have a big chip on his shoulder. I think that he's going to need some time yeah, to rebuild. This Rutgers team is just flat not competitive at this point. 
And when you take over a team, I think they'll, there'll be small improvements. They may even win a game in the Big Ten this year. Shiano's good. They have 15 returning starters on the two sides of the ball um, combined. So you do have some people coming back. Uh, just they're, It's going to be a little bit for them to be competitive, but maybe they can steal one against some of the other lowly Big Ten teams. Well, and Greg Schiano, it took him five years to reach a bowl game when he went to Rutgers yeah. the first time and built them up. So yeah. don't expect a miraculous turnaround this year. It's a tough they, recruiting area. Oh, no doubt. And and they're also they're playing in the Big Ten now. They were playing in the Big East previously when yeah. things weren't quite as difficult as the conference that they're in now. But yeah. I really think that this is a team that may you'll start to see them be a little more competitive. Yep. Just with the change in culture there, with a guy who's had success, who tells you, I know how to win, and guys will believe that. Kids will believe that. 18 to 22-year-olds will buy in. And uh, I think that this is a good move for them to get Shiano. I think that they're probably still right near the basement of, of their half of the uh, Big Ten with uh, Maryland, I think. Is Maryland the, is next. Yeah. Maryland is 3-9, and 1-8 and eight last season. Their only Big Ten win over Rutgers. Yeah. And uh, Mike Loxley's back for his second year as head coach there. Mike Loxley has perhaps the worst head coaching record in NCAA it's, history. It's really bad. It's, it's horrendous. He came off a, a stint in New Mexico where he was terrible. Um, you know that, but everybody believed in him as an Alabama guy. He's yep. a Nick Saban guy, and allegedly knows the culture of Maryland football and belongs there. And they're. It's, they started off last year, and you know when they ran Syracuse out of the building, they were three and zero with an average score of sixty three to nine in their first three games. Yeah, and then things went completely sideways, including, you know, transfer Josh Jackson came in, got off to a nice start, and then finished the season completing only forty seven point three percent of his passes. Not good. That's not good. But in his defense, they allowed three point two sacks per game, the worst in the entire Big Ten. That's a problem. Uh, you know, obviously yeah. they need to try to rectify that. I do have some some losses I want to go over. So they do get off to the, the hot start, 63-9, get themselves ranked. Things are looking great. Lost to Minnesota, 52-10. Michigan, 38-7. Ohio State, 73-14, the most points ever scored in a Big Ten game. Nebraska, 54-7. Penn State, 59-0. And Purdue, 40-14. These games were not even close. So... Mike Loxley's career record as a head coach. Are you ready for this? Yeah, it's, I saw it the other six days. and forty. Six and forty. Six and forty. I'd quit. I'd, how I'd give how it up. do we win six games? Yeah, <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah, it just really poor showing, and and to lose that many games by this those blowouts, it's really disheartening. You know, you, there's not much positive to say about Maryland. Uh, that's why you know we could definitely see Rutgers leapfrog Maryland. I mean. The most exciting thing, yeah, I, I believe that's quite feasible. But the most exciting thing for me with this Maryland program, as a fan of the Netflix series QB1, mm-hmm. is will Lance Legendre get his opportunity at quarterback if Josh Jackson struggles? And, you know, he's an explosive athlete and could be a lot of fun. He's like lightning in a bottle back there. That guy is a dual threat. Ready for a hot take? Yeah, sure. Ugliest helmets in college football when they wear the state flag helmets. Yeah, I know. It's not Ugliest helmets in football. It's not good. I don't know. They're gross. I hate Pitt's mustard yellow helmets when they go with those. I I can respect it because it's a throwback. Those Maryland ones are just disgusting. Yeah, well, we'll let Scott Van Pelt know. (laughs) Michigan State up next. Seven and six overall, but four and five. In conference, they have a brand new head coach in Mel Tucker coming over from Colorado. 
And Mel Tucker was doing a nice job there, too. In um, one year there, correct? Left them in the lurch, and yes. they are not <laughs> happy. not happy. They hate Mel Tucker in Colorado. So the folks in Boulder, <laughs> although the folks in Boulder aren't really very threatening. I think yeah. it's kind of like a love and peace kind of town. So A lot of good hunting in Colorado. Yeah. Um, not so much from the people, I think, that are at the University of Colorado, <laughs> though. I don't think that they like going out in the wild too much. So uh, now they've got they've got to figure out a replacement for Brian Lewerke. Yeah. Um, he did a, a serviceable job at quarterback there. Classic Michigan State guy, kind yeah. of managed games. Yeah. You know, never I mean, looks great. Kirk Cousins didn't look that great in college either. No. He just had the physical tools, and now he's doing a great job in the NFL. Yeah. He's doing a great right. job. He's got, he throws up some good numbers. Top 10 quarterback. Ugh. Top 10. Ugh. I know. So, <laughs> the options, Rocky Lombardi um, yeah. is, is a potential option. And if is there a better tough guy name than Rocky <laughs> Lombardi? This kid better not be like a... He threw 33% completion percentage last year. It's solid. 7 out of 21. Got it figured out, Small right? sample size. But they also have a redshirt <laughs> freshman named Peyton Thorne. Also not a bad football name, right? Yeah, Peyton, Peyton Thorne. Peyton QB. Yeah. So um, he is, he's got an opportunity to compete for that job. They have re- t- 10 returning offensive linemen that yeah. have started at least one game. I mean, that's to me, that's the biggest thing for them is the O-linemen. When you think Michigan State football, you think run, play action, maybe some quick passes on first down. And with those kind of offensive linemen numbers, you, know, you think that should play to their strengths. The defensive side is a little scary as well. Losing, um, uh, they only have three returning starters coming back. Yeah. But they are getting both of their leading tacklers. However, losing Kenny Willicks, the most athletic guy in the draft, and his 16 sacks. Yeah. It's going to be difficult to kind of plug in there. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a plug-and-play option, but they've historically been pretty good on the defensive side of the ball. But... It's a, it's a new start. Yeah, so what, that was under D'Antonio. So yeah. I don't know if Mel Tucker is going to do the same kind of things. Um, I, I want to mention one more thing on the offensive side of the ball. Elijah Collins, uh, they're running back 988 yards, 4.5 yards per attempt as a freshman, a freshman last year. Yeah. I think this guy's got an opportunity to be a, a long-term answer there uh, right through his senior year. So Which Again, with all those old linemen back. You should have some holes to hit. I would. I have to believe that that's what they're going to hang their hat on is, is good power football there. So, um, you know, I, I expect out of this team around, around the know, same, five, right? 500-ish. Yeah, right? around the same. Seven and six last year. Yeah. I imagine they're going to be in the same hunt this season. You know, they're always going to be tough out. They're, yeah. just, they're just not able to compete with the top of this uh, conference or, or and even this division. Yeah. Next yeah, Indiana. Indiana. This is eight and five last year. Five and four in conference. They lost the Gator Bowl to the Volunteers by a score of twenty-two to twenty-three. What do you have of Tom Allen's group there, Kev? Tom Allen is a good football coach. He has really built up this program over the last several years. He's got a really talented quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. Uh, he took over the job from Peyton Ramsey last year. But is he going to be able to stay healthy? Yeah, two years in a row, missed yeah. games. So Penix is allegedly put on 15 pounds of muscle in the offseason to try to bulk up and, and get in better shape. Yeah, they were 5-1 and one when in games that Penix started, um, so then only 3-4 and four after he left. So Yeah, but I think their schedule toughened up, too. Sure. I'm pretty sure that that's kind of part of what happened there. Again, this is a team that is on its way up. 
don't be surprised if this is Tom Allen's last season in Indiana because he may get scooped up by another program, a little larger program, uh, with an opportunity because he's he's shown a lot of success in building a program that is not a football school. Yeah, I mean, this is an eight-win team that's returning eight starters to offense and nine to defense. I mean, that kind of continuity, especially with an offseason where you don't have spring practices and you're going to have shortened fall fall work to get together, you know, it's going to help them. You know, that get to you know the next step, which you know if they only play ten games, you know it may not be double digit wins, but it's definitely a team that on a regular season could get to ten wins with that kind of continuity. Yeah, I think if if Penix is healthy and everything goes really well for them, everything works out. Sure, and they play. Let's say they play twelve games. Let's assume that a lot of this is on assumption. Let's say they play twelve games yeah. because there are fourteen teams in the in the Big Ten. Yeah, they can play it. They could play 12 games, and, you know, I think seven wins is, is very reasonable for this team. Um, and if things go really well, eight or nine wins. Yeah. yeah, they're they're one of these ones. You'll see a couple of these teams in the Big Ten. They're right in the middle there where, you know, some of the big dogs in the Big Ten just make it too hard to climb the hill. Yeah. But they can get most of the way up there. Uh, next we have Michigan. Big blue. Nine and four last year, six and three in conference. Harbaugh back for their sixth season after losing to Alabama in the Citrus Bowl. Yeah, this is a team that's been fueled by defense for a number of years. Don Brown does a great job there. And they've gone through the transition with Josh Gaddis taking over as the offensive coordinator. And now with the transition out of Shea Patterson, the questions come in at quarterback. Is Dylan McCaffrey going to be the man? He's shown the ability to run with the football, but he hasn't had a lot of opportunities to throw. So, I mean, I guess there is some competition there for him um, in Milton. Um, I mean, so, whoever gets the quarterback job should have a good supporting cast. They're returning four out of their five starting offensive linemen. Their top two running backs and top two wide receivers are back. Yeah. I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones was lost, but he was their third wide receiver in far as far as production goes. So they're bringing back. And the, the defense whole, returns a bunch too, right? Yep, yeah, six returning starters. The big one is uh, losing Josh Uche. Um, it's going to hurt a little bit. How about this first stat? Jim Harbaugh, 0-5 versus Ohio State. The first coach for either side to lose the first five. Wow. Ohio State's been on a historic run, nuts. though. Yeah, you know, they've been so good. They're they're right there hanging with Clemson and Alabama yeah. and, and Georgia yeah. over these last several years. So it's it's, it's a tough been out. a tough time to, to do yeah. that. And he potentially should have had one win there. Yeah. And, They've been close a couple times. You know, it, uh, the problem with Michigan teams is their margin for error seems to be a lot smaller um, because they they play so good defensively, maybe not as good offensively. The, the margin for error is so small when you're playing somebody as talented as Ohio State. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh likes to step on bad teams and really squash them. Yeah. So they're they're, they're going to beat the hell out of the the Rutgers and the Marylands of the of the world. Yeah. Uh, but they're then they're gonna they're gonna have tough games with teams like Penn State and and. Ohio State and even Michigan State seems to hang with them, even though they have a talent deficit. Yeah. Um, so it'll be it'll be fun to watch this year. I think they've got as much talent as you could ask for. The question mark is how good is their quarterback yep. play? The quarterback is is going to make or break this team season. Yeah, absolutely. Next, we go to a team without a quarterback issue in Penn State, eleven and two with seven and two in conference. James Franklin, another great coach, uh, seventh season. Winning the Cotton Bowl decisively against Memphis. Uh, eight starters back on offense, including Sean Clifford, their quarterback. Yeah, new offensive coordinator. They, they hired Kirk Soraka from Minnesota. 
who had a lot of success there. And I think that he is likely to continue the success on the offensive side of the ball for Penn State. Every year, it feels like Penn State's going to be really good. And then somewhere along the line, things just don't quite you know, work out. The projections this year from a lot of people are that they're going to have a great season. So, I mean, they, they had a great one last year. I mean, 11-2 and two was a great season. It is a great ball, season. Man. No question. Were they ten and two in the regular season, and then won their bowl game? Nope, seven and two. Wait a minute. Or uh, seven and two in conference play. Seven sorry. and two in so, conference play. Yeah. So they lost two games in the regular season, then won yep. their bowl game. So they were ten and two in the regular season. Um, you know, I, I think that they're going to be a good football team. They've got some exciting players on the team. You know, there are names that that you're going to see. Pat Fryermuth is is known as potentially the best tight end prospect in in quite some time. He's already tied Mike Kosicki's school record in touchdown receptions. Uh, Micah Parsons is going to be... Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, top 10 easily in the mm-hmm. NFL draft. Yeah, he's, he's actually one of the guys I've actually looked at their tape for the draft purposes next year. 109 tackles, 5 sacks, just a terror all the time from the all over hybrid the field, outside right? linebacker yeah. position. Yeah, and Sean Clifford seems to do a good job. So I think that they're going to be a team that's... Again, winning a lot of football games. Their two losses last year were at Minnesota, where they lost by five, and at Ohio State, where they lost by eleven. So you you get those two teams at home this year as well, which should be, you know, even with limited or no crowd, should at least be an advantage. And they lose KJ Hamler, who was an explosive piece of their yes. offense, and they lose Yeter Gross Matos, who was a big player on defense for them. But they seem to always find pass rushers and linebackers, so I don't think that they've got anything to worry about there. Uh, that I my anticipation is so I, I'm going to say this now because I've heard a lot of talk about it. Is it sounds like ten game seasons are what a lot of these conferences are looking for. Uh, that seems to be kind of like what the expectation is. Yeah, ten games. What ten teams are they going to get? But without knowing the schedule, there's no reason this team couldn't win nine. The only team that that I'm confident should be able to beat them is Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention is I look at three separate uh, kind of write-ups on every team when I'm going over them. All three of them mentioned the depth that Penn State has at most positions and just how well it's built up and they should be able to sustain any kind of injuries. Uh, just the depth kept being mentioned in all three of them. And James Franklin seems to be beloved there. And, you know, yeah. He's going to be there for a long time he's if he wants definitely to done, Yeah, he's definitely done a great job kind of getting them out of the funk, the post-paterno funk. Yeah. Ohio State, 13-1, lost the Fiesta Bowl to Clemson in a very entertaining football game. Ryan Day back for his second season. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite television commercials of all time is when you see this man and woman riding in a minivan <laughs> together, and uh, they're, like, talking about themselves, just doing some introductions as they're riding down a country road, and uh, the lady is driving the car, and she's like, yeah, proud Michigan alum. Go blue. And the guy opens the door and jumps out of the moving vehicle and stands up and yells, "Go Buckeyes!" A little yeah. aside there, but it was just I love that rivalry and it's a, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, always a huge game when they play each other. Uh, so Ohio State six returning starters to the offense. They are losing J.K. Dobbins, but they are getting Trey Sermon, transfer from Oklahoma. Should not miss too much there. I mean, it's going to be tough to replace Dobbins' explosiveness, but they're definitely having someone who's serviceable and experienced to come in. Uh, Justin Fields, 
a really good season last year. 3,200 yards, 41 touchdowns, three picks, another 480 yards rushing, and 10 more touchdowns on the ground. Yeah. It's, Nasty. As long as you've got somebody like that at the helm, he's, he's just going to – they're going to continue to perform very well. They lost some great receivers. They're, the running back position has been a mess uh, this offseason leading up to getting Trey Sermon for this yeah. final year. Um, let's see if Injuries. Sermon stays healthy and, and can can manage the load there. Otherwise, they're going to have to re- rely on some real young players. The defense is the bigger question mark. I mean, this team lost a, an all-pro team, all team, basically, with Chase Young, Malik Harrison, Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, and Devon Hamilton all gone to the NFL. It's insane. That, that group is insane. Yeah. When you have five starters walk straight to the NFL to pick up new checks. And probably a bunch of starters – Moving yeah. to the next level. Yeah, too. I mean, you had what three first round picks out of that group. Yeah, um, gonna be tough to to supplant that. But Ohio State does what they do; they reload, they don't rebuild. Uh, so maybe if you catch them early on, you can maybe win a shootout against them because that offense is gonna be able to score no matter what. Right. And that's probably where you're gonna have to beat them as in a shootout. You know that I agree with you. It's it's going to come down to can you score enough points on that yep. defense to to be able to. To hang with them because they're gonna they're gonna hang forty on most teams. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and they lost a heartbreaker to Clemson. And if you think that they're not motivated, then you're you're sorely mistaken. So, I'm excited to see the season this year when it comes to the teams like Ohio State and Clemson that both have a lot of the key players that we saw yeah. in that game returning. So, yeah, absolutely. Two of the teams that you would expect to see in the national championship. No doubt. So we're going to go to the Big Ten West. That was it for the East. Uh, Northwestern, 3-9, and 1-8. and eight. Pat Fitzgerald, one of our favorites. I know I can speak for both of us there. In yeah. his 15th season, coming back, what do you what do you have for them besides the new OC? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I like Pat Fitzgerald and what he does there. He finds a way to be successful regardless of talent. You know, he, he holds games tight. He always wins somewhere along the way that you don't expect. But last year's offense was really bad. Yeah, and they need to find some some growth on the offensive side of the ball. They are getting Peyton Ramsey, who we mentioned earlier yeah. as a graduate transfer, who had a really nice career. He the only reason that Penix is taking over that job really in Indiana is his versatility on his feet. Yeah, Peyton Ramsey is going to be in the pocket throwing the ball, and that's what that's Northwestern that's what Northwestern style. does. They're going to run the ball and and have a pocket passer. So Northwestern has a few things going for it this year. They have seven returning starters on offense, nine on defense. Uh, that offense, you said, was bad. 16.3 points per game. That's 126 yeah. in the NCAAs. Rough. They were hard to watch. Hard to win games that way. Uh, one thing I saw pointed out, the last losing season for Pat Fitzgerald, they were 5-7. and seven. The next year, 10-3. and three. Yeah. So this is not unlike him to you know have a step back, uh, setback and then be able to, you know, Rally the troops the next season and make a difference. Uh, some some speeches from him were given, I'm sure. Yeah. Since 2015, Northwestern is 18th in the nation in defensive efficiency and 17th in total touchdowns allowed. And that's in a conference with Wisconsin and Ohio State. Iowa. Penn State. Some, some really good defensive yeah. schools. So, you know, this is a, a really... They do a great job on the defensive side of the ball. Can they get any kind smart of kids. offense going there? Oh yeah, they know where to be. They're in the right Some place smart on kids. defense. Yeah, that's that's more than half the battle on defense yeah. is being in the right position. All right, so a team in Nebraska, Scott Frost, third season last year. They're five and seven, three and six in conference. 
They are returning seven starters to on offense. They are bringing back Adrian Martinez as quarterback, but they will be starting all new wide receivers and running backs. What do you have for me with Nebraska? Adrian Martinez is super explosive. I yes. do believe in Scott Frost as a head coach. I think that he's going to do a great job in building this program back up to where it once was. I do expect them to eventually be perennial Big Ten contenders, if not national championship contenders. The West is the side to do it in. You know, you don't have Michigan, you don't have Penn yeah. State, you don't have Ohio State. It's the easier side. No question. And no offense. Yeah, they've got guys, um, you know, on the in the running in the running back situation. They've got uh, J.D. Spielman. Uh, I'm sorry, <clears throat> they've got uh, Spielman with 800 yards receiving last year. Uh, they've got Wandale Robinson, who started four games at running back um, and receiver. So they've got a lot of versatile athletes on the offensive side of the ball, and that's a big thing for them. Is they want to be multiple, they want to be fast, they want to, you know, rely on opening things up for Adrian Martinez. Think of the UCF teams that Scott Frost had prior to coming back here. So, you know, I think that the defense is always going to be the concern. I don't know how great they're going to be on that side of the ball. Uh, what, what's your take, Tom? Yeah, so I, I don't see a lot from Nebraska that excites me. Uh, they do have some starters back on offense, but the defense is only bringing four guys back uh, on a defense that wasn't that good to begin with. One positive for them, last year they had 27 fumbles lost. Uh, that sh- or 27 fumbles total. Sorry, not lost. Mm-hmm. That that should regress to the mean and you know drop in half almost. Um, so you'll see. Look for that. Maybe less turnovers because it should help them out. But a team that's just they're meant. I mean, Adrian Martinez is explosive. I'm not so sure about the rest of that offense and that defense does nothing to to make me feel confident in them. Yeah. So you know we'll see. Matt Lubick takes over as the OC there. Yeah. Um, Too many moving parts for me. Yeah, there's a lot going on there for sure. But um, I'm excited to see what Adrian Martinez can do if he stays healthy. He was banged up a lot during the course of the season last year. Is first with Scott Frost. Yeah. So I think this could be the year that he has a really great season. I don't he's think they're got to stay healthy. Yeah. He, he's one of these guys that runs a lot and takes a lot of hits. He's, mm-hmm. he's got to be smart, get out of bounds, get down, take advantage yeah. of those rules. But uh, 7 and 5 is not out of the question if they sure. played a you know 12 game, traditional 12 game season, maybe 6 and 4 for 10 game season. So. We got Purdue next. Yeah, Purdue. Four and eight, but three and six in the uh, Big Ten Conference. Jeff Brom back for a fourth year. A couple numbers to chew on for them. Their uh, pe- their offense, 83.3 yards rushing, which is 126th in the nation. 309 yards passing, which is 12th in the nation. A very pass-heavy team who needs to replace a quarterback. Yeah. Um, so they've got, obviously they've got a lot of talent at the receiver position. Yeah, David that, Bell is awesome. David, Yeah, so you've got David Bell and, and Rondale Moore returning as well. Um, he had a season-ending injury last year, but he's so crazy, dynamic, explosive that it'll be really exciting to see. So they've got competition at quarterback. You've got Jack Plummer, mm-hmm. and you've got Aiden O'Connell. And? And now they're getting UCLA grad transfer Austin Burton as yeah, well. My guy. So um, Burton... 44 of 64 for 365 and a touchdown in his reps last year at UCLA. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's there's something to play Brom with. Brom is going to put your quarterbacks in a situation to succeed. The question is, which one of these guys is going to take that job 
And I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of a carousel going on there for a while. Yeah, again, with, with you. without spring practices, it's going to be a little bit of learning on the job for all three of them. Yeah. They brought in Bob Diaco um, from Louisiana Tech to take over the defense. The defense was obviously a hot mess. A rough. And they're going to need to figure that out. So They do yeah. have some bright spots. Yeah. Um, George, I'm going to mess this name Carl up. Loftus. Carl Loftus. Seven and a half sacks as a freshman. That's yeah. pretty good, especially in the Big Ten. A lot of big old linemen you're going up against. So as a freshman, seven and a half sacks. Definitely someone to keep an eye on this season. And then you got Lorenzo Neal coming back. He's a defensive tackle. He's a fifth-year senior who missed the entire season last year. He's a big boy. 6'3", 315. Told you. Yeah. <laughs> big that's, boy. That's a big fella. Um if he returns healthy, he'll be a prospect in the draft next year. Um, you know, mid-round prospect, something yeah. like that. And this so. is a team, when you look at them on paper, you feel like if they can just get good to above you know, above average to good quarterback play, this is a team that's competitive in this division. It's just can they get it from that cast of characters at, at quarterback. Yeah. They have they have weapons at wide out. They have a system that, that really shows out the, wide, the quarterback and wide out positions and let them get after it. So all that success that they had last year on offense, and I was just reading this quote, they were decimated by injuries last year. They lost their best receiver and their quarterback on the same play for the entire season. <laughs> it's yeah, rough. Imagine that. So and still twelfth in the nation in passing yards per game. Yeah. So should be should be fun team to watch. They're always entertaining. That's for sure. He's seventeen and twenty one in three years at the school. I expect a continuing uh, a continuation of their um, rebuild. You know, he, yeah. he had a lot of success prior to that. So. The Fighting Illini, six and seven last year, four and five in the Big Ten. They lost the Red Box Bowl to Cal. I didn't know Red Box still had that kind of money to flex yeah. on a bowl game, but there you go. Right, Lovey Smith taking over for his fifth year here. Yeah, and Lovey Smith. That was a nice season last year, wasn't it? How how, how fun for <laughs> Illinois to to get back to a bowl game. Yeah, after. it was it was big steps forward. I mean, you hear six and seven, obviously not setting the world world on fire. But from where they were to this, it, it was a it was a some work, some good work. Yeah, and this is his first time since he took over as that coach that he's got a returning quarterback. Brandon Peters is going to be back, um, kind of running the show there. He did a nice job last year. The question is, like, how much can they continue to progress with the loss of spring practice? A team that was starting to rise finally. Yeah, um, they really needed that time. They are returning nine starters to the offense. Uh, most of their offensive linemen, all their wide receivers are back. They've, they've lost a couple of their rushers. So, you know, definitely some, some room to grow within what they already have, which is always good in these kinds of situations. The defense is a bit of a mess, and they're losing both their top tackler and their the player with the most sacks on their team. On the offensive side, they are getting back. Mike, don't call me Jeffrey Epstein and tailback. <laughs> um, he tore his ACL in the opener against Akron last year. And uh, he'll be returning, um, they expect, for the start of the season. So. so a couple things for the Illini to expect a regression with. Last year they were plus 10 in the turnovers. You might see that come back a little bit. Plus six defensive touchdowns. So this team finished 26.7 points per game, which is 79th in the country, and that includes six defensive touchdowns. Yeah, It's a huge percentage of the points they actually scored. So may see some of that come back. I love seeing the success of guys that are – have moved on from the NFL, you know, lost yeah. their jobs, and seeing Lovey Smith go down and, you know, kind of resurrect a program that's been really in the toilet for a long time now. Yeah. And Herm Edwards at Arizona State and other ones, it's been a lot of fun to watch. So I enjoy that angle. 
Iowa, 10-3, 6-3 in conference last year. Kirk Ferentz, 22nd year with the team, which is just crazy. Uh, they won the Holiday Bowl, smacking USC 49-24. to they sure did have a lot of good players that were on that team last year that they got drafted. Moved in. The NFL, yeah. yeah, Tristan Wirfs and AJ Appanessa. Nate Stanley's gone. Nate Stanley's gone. So a lot know. to replace here. And and um, they do have uh, a great starting left tackle, um, Alaric Jackson. Is uh, yeah, he should be highly thought of. He's highly thought of. Should be able to step in and be adequate for Wirfs. Yeah, Spencer Petrus is going to be the new quarterback. It looks like. Um, he's 6'5", 230, which sounds like a typical Iowa quarterback. <laughs> yeah, they're stand all in the guys. pocket and rip one, right? Um, they got the short end on the straw this year, though. They have to play Penn State and Ohio, and Ohio State as their two East opponents. Yeah. Which is bad. It's not good. There's uh, a couple of guys that are going to try to compete for that quarterback job, and Alex Padilla and Deuce Hogan. So... You know. So if somebody sacks him, are they dropping a deuce? I guess they would be dropping a deuce. Lowbrow humor at its finest. <laughs> Minnesota, eleven and two, seven and two in conference. PJ Fleck, uh, amazing job last year. Fourth year in the program here. Outback Bowl winners against your Auburn Tigers, thirty-one twenty-four. Yeah, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not interested in talking about that. But uh, <laughs> so th- they lost uh, Rodney Smith and Tyler Johnson, two yes. two leaders, one in the backfield, one as a receiver. However, and <laughs> but they, they do have uh, Rashad Bateman, um, who is and, sixty catches for twelve hundred yards, which is yeah. really good. Yeah, he is really talented. Tanner Morgan is going to be back. And they have Muhammad Ibrahim, who had 605 yards rushing last year in the backup role. So they yeah. they lost a couple guys, but they have guys primed, ready to rock and roll, take yeah. their spots on offense, which is obviously good to New see. New OC is Mike Sanford, comes over from Notre Dame, or previously with Notre Dame. I don't know if he came directly from there. Um, and uh, he's replacing Kirk Soraka, who did a great job on the offensive side of the ball. But I think that this is a P.J. Fleck-led kind of offense yeah. regardless. So I understand, I imagine that Sanford will be taking some guidance from Fleck, who's done a great job with this program. There's a period of time where you know it didn't seem like Minnesota could throw the football at all. No. And now it's it's different. They're, they're fun to watch. They're an yeah. enjoyable football team. Tanner Morgan will be interesting for um, NFL draft purposes to keep an eye on this year. A lot of talk about his arm and his decision-making. So it'll be interesting to see that. Defense, five starters coming back. They're 37th in the nation in points per game, including both of their corners, and both of their corners are good. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got uh, Micah Dutreadway uh, returning on the defensive line as well. And, uh, you know, they also they, they lost Antoine Winfield that we, we, didn't, yeah. we failed to mention. Carter Coughlin uh, did a great job rushing the passer at yep. the college level. Not sure it'll translate to the next level, but, but regardless... Um, you know, it's it's still nice to to see some of the success that they had getting some guys to the NFL. Yes, yeah, so a couple of things to, to point out about Minnesota's uh, success last year. Their only two losses were at Iowa. They lost by four, and then a very tough game against Wisconsin, which they lost. Uh, they did win five games by one possession. You would like to see maybe that even out a little bit. So they're five and one in one possession games last season. That should even out a little bit. But with the steps forward on offense, they may not play too many one-possession games next year. Yeah, no doubt. And their schedule doesn't look that bad. No. Their, their road games do not look bad at all. No. Um, 
you know, at Wisconsin looks like their their biggest challenge of the season. Yeah, uh, it, in conference play, obviously, we can't talk about non conference stuff anymore. Nobody knows anything as yeah. far as that goes. Um, Wisconsin, let's talk about them. Ten and four last year, but seven and two again in conference play. They won that game against Minnesota and clinched their chance to get beat up by Ohio State. Yeah, well, Paul you, Chris is in his sixth year. Go ahead. Yeah, so you've got Jack Cohn coming back. Yeah, um, he, he he's met. He's vanilla to me. He he's, did a fine job. Eighteen touchdowns, five picks, and handed the ball off really well to Jonathan <laughs> yeah. Taylor. But Jonathan <laughs> Taylor is not walking through that door. Right. So um, Grant Groshek is a third down back who will get uh, some growth. Um, Nakia Watson will get some handles there in the backfield. Um, they've got some some young players, so we don't really know who's going to take the the bulk of those carries now. Right. You know, and they lost a, a couple of good players up up front Quintus as well. Cephas is gone as well. Quintus Cephas is wide gone. receiver. Um, so there's they've lost a lot, and I expect a little bit of regression from On this offense. program. Yeah. However, yeah, their defense mm-hmm. could be very nasty. Conti- continuously, every year they yeah. seem to do a great job there. The fourth in the nation in allowing uh, yards per game, only allowing 287 yards per game, which in this day and age is pretty nasty. Yeah. They're returning nine starters. They allowed 16.9 points per game, which was 10th in the nation as well. This defense, again, could be just really, really good. And that offense scores 23 points a game, you might be able to, to run the table here. Yeah. So I think that that's that's it, right, Tom? That's all of them in the West? Yeah, that's the big t- The one thing I want to throw about the defense, watch Jack Sanborn. Eight, 80 tackles last year from the linebacker position, nine of them for loss with three interceptions. Just a really good all-around linebacker. Definitely has the kind of skills an NFL team will be looking at. Yeah, no doubt. So, it's prediction time. It's pick time. Um, where are you going, Tom? So, I think I told you before I did East. I picked an East winner, a West winner, and then an overall winner along with my little sleeper here. So, my West winner, I might back that up. My East winner is Ohio State. I just, with Fields and the gang back, it's so hard to pick against them. Uh, in the West, I have Minnesota. I think Wisconsin may struggle a little bit on the offensive side of the ball. And in that Wisconsin-Minnesota game, I think Minnesota's offense can do enough to beat Wisconsin. I think it'll probably come down to that game as well. I have Ohio State winning all of Big Ten. And then my sleeper's Northwestern. I mean, this team, again, we talked about it. They were bad last year, but they have a history of having a bad season and turning it around immediately. They're bringing a lot of starters back. They have a lot of good things going for them. Yeah, so um, the boring piece is that I have Ohio State against Minnesota in the Big Ten Championship game as well, <laughs> uh, with Ohio State coming out on top. Uh, my, my sleeper for the division, however, is Indiana, Tom Allen's crew, Michael Penix staying healthy, adding some bulk, and a lot of those returning talent. Um, in that program. I expect them to beat expectations this year. I can't wait to see what Vegas lines come out like yeah. when, the, when we know what the schedule is going to look like so that I can bet the over on, Minis- on uh, probably Minnesota too. But. When I was going to pick my <laughs> sleepers between Northwestern and Indiana, and I just think the West is, is a little weaker and a little clearer of a path for Northwestern to make some noise. Yeah. But both of those teams are are very interested to see how they I, I don't out. think there's any way Indiana wins the East. What oh, I sure. think they will do is I think they're going to surprise somebody. They're going to beat a Michigan or a Penn State or a Wisconsin somewhere along the way. I hope it's Michigan. Yeah, I know you do. You're <laughs> not really a Michigan guy. So that's the Big Ten, and uh, we're going to take a quick break because we've still got a lot to do tonight. Yes. And, uh, Next is baseball. Baseball time, baby. 
We'll be right back. Oh my god. We are back, and it is time to talk about baseball. Yes. And uh, we're going to do a little projection on who we think is going to win each division now based on the changes that we see with a 60-game season. Tom, jump right in with us. What division do you want to go with? Uh, I think before, I just want to talk a little bit about what impact we think only 60 games will do. I mean, we're used to 162 games of baseball. Uh, very shortened season. and what in, like How is that going to affect them? I think the biggest thing to me, like, it's an advantage towards teams with hitters, multiple hitters. Because if you can get a couple guys on a tear, it's not going to matter. <clears throat> you know, a hot streak in a length of a 162-game season that lasts 10 days is what it is. But in a 60-game season, you get a couple guys on a hot streak one after another. It's such a huge advantage. So when I picked my division winners, I was paying attention to teams that have two or three bangers, as I like to call them. Give me a couple guys who can bang the baseball, change the, the flow of a game with a couple dingers. Uh, that's something I really focused on when I looked at this. I mean, let's think about a team that goes through a 20-game hot stretch where they, they go 15-5 and five in those 20 games. Then they play 500 baseball the rest of the way. You're all, there? All, yeah, all, all of a sudden, you are there, man. You are you, you are at a, a 35-25. and 25, You're in the playoffs, you know, and yeah. that's, that's kind of what I think we might see a little bit this year is a team get hot and then play 500 baseball or vice versa. Yeah, I think it eliminates... So a starting pitcher in a regular season, they're pitching, what, 25 to 30 times? And this season they're going to pitch 12 to 10 times. So you're limiting how much impact they have over the season. Yeah. Uh, so I think the bangers, that's what I've been going with. So you'll you'll notice that in my division projections. All right. Bangers. Let's start right. with the AL because we're both NL guys anyways. Yeah. AL, AL East. East. Who's the biggest bangers in the AL East? I got the Yankees. Yankees. I yeah. mean, it's it's hard to imagine that lineup going cold for a long any stretch, let alone a large stretch. So give me the Yankees. They have so many weapons. Yeah. I, I like the it's Yankees, boring. too. I'm right with you. It's the boring pick. I know there's going to be a few of them, though, guys. Yeah. AL Central, which is a little more open than the AL East, but I still took the Twins. Again, they have guys that just consistently hit home runs, doubles. They're they're going to hit the baseball. I like uh, – I'm going to go with the Indians based on the shortened seasons. Uh, shortening the season, I think, is going to make a difference for them. I think that uh, – this is a team that tends to be streaky. Uh, when they're playing really well, they're very difficult to beat. Yeah. A name that I'm, you know, I'm going to mention here, Aaron Savali is going to be a great pitcher. He had uh, a brief call up there at the end of the season, pitched I think, you know, maybe the back half of the season was really good, and I would expect Savali to have a great season this year. Uh, in his ten or twelve starts, he's looking really good in preseason action. So. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the Indians to kind of pull a little up, minor upset in that division. All right. So next we have the AL West, and this is my first upset pick. I'm going with the Angels. Yeah? Way off the board. Probably yeah. the, the third or fourth rated team in the AL. But give me Pujols. Give me Trout. Give me the Simmons brothers. Give me a shortened season with Anthony Rendon on there now. Tommy LaStella, Justin Upton. I mean, this is a team that can smash some baseballs. Tommy LaStella, they call him 3 a.m. He can get up at 3 in the morning and hit a line drive. I mean, this team is... And then you got, you know, some Otani guy designated yeah. hitting. I mean, whatever. When you think about that lineup they can put out there every night in a shortened season, I, I like their odds of getting over that hump. And I also think the Astros are going to see everyone's best shot. I don't think people... 
are very fond of them. They had a uh, spring training game yesterday where three guys got plunked. I, I think you'll see a lot of that continuing. Who do you have for the West? Yeah, I have the Astros. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna continue with them because I think that they're uh, they're gonna be really good. They, they are they, good. They're, they're so talented. I think that they just still have too much. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and go with uh, with the Astros uh, to pull that out. So. And then NL start in the East as well. I mean, you know where I'm going. I got the, I got my Braves. They they won the last two. I but for the same reason. I think they have enough on the on the lineup card to produce night in night out. Uh, the the AL and NL East get the advantages of playing against each other, and by advantage I mean disadvantage. Um, so that that should be interesting to see them bang on each other a little bit. But I'm I'm sticking with my Braves. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Mets this year. Uh, I'm going to go with the Mets in the NL East. I think that, Gross. I know. Uh, I think that they are. Um, their lineup is really good, uh, top to bottom, and their starting rotation. I love the addition of Marcus Stroman. Um, Porcello's a Cy Young winner. Steven Matz, and, of course, Jacob deGrom if he can stay healthy. So, you know, I think that that team's going to be really difficult to beat. And uh, I'm a big fan to see what they can do this year. You know, Pete Alonso coming off a 53 home run season as a rookie. Um, you know, Thomas Nito is going to, it looks like he is going to take over at the, the catching position. Um, I, I kind of like Robbie Cano in that lineup. You know, big fan of what he does. And, um, you know, I, I think this is a team that's going to be really difficult to deal with this year. Suspides in that lineup as well. Ugh. <laughs> so, uh,. You're consistent. You picked the Mets last time. So. I did. NL Central, you yeah. go first. So I'm going to go with my Chicago Cubs. And uh, I'm going to go with my Cubs because I believe that... We, I believe that we can win. We have an improved U Darvish who, who had a great second half of the season last year. Um, and they're, they have a new attitude with uh, Grandpa Rossi taking over at the helm. I think they're going to be more aggressive, more attacking. I think that the team is excited about playing this year, and I love their lineup top to bottom. So I think that one through nine, they can they can compete with most teams in the league. I'm actually taking the Cubs, too. Uh, not for the same reasons Kev did. I don't care about their pitching. It's all about the lineup. They have so many guys who can hit. You want to talk about bangers and bombs. Rizzo, Bryant, Schwarber, give me all the bombs. And then you have some really Baez, good... Baez, Contreras. Baez is a good hitter. Contreras is a good hitter. Then you even have the streakiest of hitters in Jason Hayward, yeah. who can get in a real hot streak for them as well. Again, shortened season, bangers. Throw Kipnis into the mix this year. Um, you know who can who can certainly he uh, started off with a bomb in uh, an exhibition game against the White Sox the other night. So uh, I'm excited about the Cubs this year. And the West, I have the Dodgers. Yep, me too. It's it's hard to pick against them. They're such a solid baseball team. Uh, you know, Mookie Betts just signed a monster deal for three hundred sixty-five yeah. million. He should be happy. Yeah, should be happy. Good baseball player. Good Great baseball bowler. player. Yes, he is a good bowler. Yeah. Uh, so, I have Yan- I have Yankees, Twins, Angels. Kevin has Yankees, Indians, Astros. I have Braves, Cubs, Dodgers. Kevin has Mets, Cubs, Dodgers. So, you know, actually not that many the same. Uh, three out of six. That's not too bad, really. No. So this should be fun to see us match up here. How we do. Yeah. The next part of baseball we're going to do is the new updated over-unders have come out, and we've each picked three that we really like. Uh, we're going to put them on our, our tote board here and each stamp of approval on which one we're going to go with. I'll lead us off with my first one, and it's 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 the Cubs. 
Give me the Cubs over 31 and a half. I, I think that they're able to win easily 32 games. Uh, maybe even 35, 36 if they get on a real roll with that lineup. And Lester and Hendricks and Darvish are pitching well. And they could easily get to 35, 36. Uh, that's my first bet. Yeah, so uh, my first bet is going to be an under. And um, I'm going with a concept here of <laughs> teams that are facing... The most difficult situation, I think, is the East this year. I think that the East on both sides is pretty loaded. Um, I think that the East on both sides is like four teams deep. Yeah. So I'm going to go under for the Baltimore Orioles. Under 20 and a half wins for the Baltimore Orioles. So I feel like that Orioles team is one of the worst rosters I've ever seen put together. (laughs) I don't know. Very few of the names. Very few of the names are, are familiar. So to me... I don't think they can compete with the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, the Phillies, the Nationals, yeah. the Mets, the Braves. They've got to run out against those teams. Their only relief is against the Marlins, which is my next pick <laughs> at under 24 and a half. So those two selections for me are all about the teams that they have to face and the same thing for the Marlins. They're not on the same level with the teams at the top of the NL and AL East. So I think they're going to have a hard time this year. And give me the under. I think 23 and 37 would be, you know, very reasonable for that Marlins team this year. Uh, my second, I'm also going to the unders. And with the Rays, under 33 and a half. Last year they, they overperformed. I mean, you look at this roster, it doesn't jump out at you. They won 90 games. I don't see them continuing that in a shortened season. Again, you have a short season. You're going to have to play the Yankees 10 times. You know, that's... Or eight times? How many are they playing? Ten? Yeah, yeah. I think they're playing ten against each yeah. of the other four teams. So I mean, you got to play the Yankees ten times, the Red Sox ten times. You got to play the Braves, Phillies, Mets. All these teams were Nationals. All these teams we're talking about that are they're really solid and good teams in the East. Give me the Rays to be under that thirty. I mean, they could win thirty three games, and I'm still the winner on this bet. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Then um, my last one, I got the White Sox under thirty one and a half for the same reason. We both picked. Different teams doing the AL Central. You got the Twins and the Indians, right? White Sox got to play them each. They also have to play the NL Central, which is full of solid clubs. The Cubs, the Cardinals. They're going to have to uh, do battle with them as well. 31.5 seems like a stretch for a team that did not fare well last year either. Yeah, and so for my final, <clears throat> excuse me, my final selection, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually go to the uh, Colorado Rockies over. Um, so it looks like the Rockies are at, I think it's 27 and a half. Yeah, 27 and a half is the over-under for the Rockies. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, short season, uh, a team that has a, a big advantage in their home park uh, in general. You've got Nolan Arenado still on that team. Trevor Story is a nice shortstop. Um, they've got some questions in the outfield, but Charlie Blackman is a staple there. Another great player that can hit the ball. Um, you know, there, there are some really good... Daniel Murphy comes in, and he's going to play some first base there. Um, their pitching rotation, you know, that that's... They've got Jermaine Marquez, who I think is decent. John Gray comes in. Um, Kyle Freeland is a solid starter. So, it, to me, I think this is a team that can win 28 games. That's all I'm asking for, 28 and 32. So, to me, I think... And also, being in the West, I think, is one of the softer areas to be, for sure. Um, I don't see a lot of, of great talent in those West divisions. I do want to mention 
Um, one of the teams that I, I really liked um, was the Toronto Blue Jays to go over, but there's no number available for them right now on most sites because of the question marks about where they're going to play their games. So, you know, that's a little bit disappointing to me for sure. Um, because I, I would really like to see what that number's set at. If it's anything 30 or less, I'm on them over. So when that number comes out, I'll keep an eye out for it and um, give an update. And, um, you know, another one that, that I had as a sleeper is the San Diego Padres. I think they're a good young up-and-coming team, and over 30 and a half is an option out there. All right, so you have it. Quick and dirty for baseball. Uh, the season is upon us. We'll have a couple games tomorrow on Thursday, and then Friday we start. Game on. Underway. Time to talk about some UFC and a very exciting fight night card coming up, uh, headlined by the Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till bout, which should be a lot of fun. Both of these guys like to, to throw punches and should be a, pretty much a standing fight. Yeah. We were just talking a little bit about this before we went on air, and, and Robert Whitaker seems to have some of the better wins in the in between the two. Uh, Yoel Romero twice, Uriah Hall, Brunson, um, Jacques Rasuza. Uh, Darren Tills against, has wins against Gastelum. Um, we've seen Gastelum kind of fade away these last few months, last few fights, uh, and also against Wonderboy are his two big wins. Uh, so which way are you leaning on this one, Kevin? I'm going with Robert Whitaker. He's got one recent loss, and that was to Israel Adesanya, which is nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, nine wins in a row before that fight. Yeah, it, it's crazy to me. Like, um, I, I feel like minus 120 is what you can get Robert Whitaker at, and I'm putting that in my tracker as we speak because I will be on Robert Whitaker at minus 120. Yeah, it's a, it seems like based on who he's already fought, the things he's been able to do. I mean, this is a former champion at this weight class. Uh, next, we have a couple of old-timers going at it, and Marcio Shogun Huha and Antonio Rogero, Nagero Little Nog. Uh, they have fought twice before. Um, Shogun has won both of them back in 2005 and 2015. He's 4-1-1 in his last six. I know it seems like you know, you've seen a downtick in him, but he's still 4-1-1 in his last six fights. And Nagara is 2-4 and four in his last six. He's been knocked out three times in those four losses. His only two wins, Pat Cummings and Sam Elvey. Oh, I, I don't care what Shogun's at. That seems like a no-brainer for that win. Yeah, so, you know, that fight has Shogun at minus 190. So, yeah. you know, that's tough return, but... Um, I think that Shogun will, I think a, a good angle might be to get Shogun to finish the fight. I don't know what yeah. the number's at right now, but I, I really like Shogun in this fight as well. Yeah. I mean, Noguera seems to be at the point where his chin just isn't holding up. I mean, three knockouts in his last four. Uh, you go back to two years ago, it was uh, a story thing that you could not knock out either Noguera, and now it seems just to, to kind of faded away his memory. Yeah. Uh, the other big fight on the main card, Fabricio Verdum is welcoming Alexander Gustafson to the heavyweight realm as Gustafson, who had retired, has declared he's out of retirement, ready to take on some heavyweights. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned before that uh, Verdum has not won a fight since 2017. 
Gustafson stepping up in weight may be an advantage for him. He's always been a great striker, and maybe yeah. carrying the extra weight will just add to that. I don't think that he, he will lack for, for hitting power, and uh, I think that he will he will get Fabricio Verdum, Verdum out of there. Uh, he's a big favorite at minus 360 in this fight. If you have a chance, check out Alexander's, um, I think it's his Instagram page where he's put the pictures. He has some pictures of him working out. He has added some weight, and it's in muscle. Uh, he looks pretty ripped. Yeah, uh, pretty big compared to what he normally comes in, kind of slender. But he's a big guy. He's six five, so it's not like he's adding weight just to get up, you know, a la DC. Right. He's a six foot five guy who's just filled out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so that that should be interesting. I think it's gonna be very interesting to see how Gustafson translates this heavyweight area really needs more star power. So and at six five, cutting the two hundred five might not have been easy for him to sure. begin with. No. And and. Uh, they need heavyweights that are good and have names. We're, we're, once this DC Stipe fights over and DC rides off to the sunset, either way, you're really lacking some of the top heavyweights. You're, you're going to get recycled same people. So, and if you get a big Gustafson knockout in this fight, he may be in line to get a shot with Stipe. I mean, Derek Lewis may not like that, but Derek Lewis or Curtis Blades. Yeah, but I'll, I'll tell you what. Give me Gustafson against Blades. I like Gustafson's odds. Yeah, that would be a fun fight after uh, after this one if you can. Yeah, take him out. Um, Carlos Sparza is fighting the undefeated Marina Rodriguez. Uh, so a weird thing about Marina Rodriguez, she has two draws in the UFC, uh, but her two wins are against Tisha Torres and Jessica Aguilar, who are both solid yeah. UFC fighters. Uh, I, I kind of like Marina Rodriguez in that fight. What's the... Minus 175. The Sparza is a pretty big dog, yeah. Really? So that's an interesting fight. Uh, we start to run out of interesting fights at this point in the main card. We talked a little about the Ternaldo Herbert fight. And yep. you're a big fan of this Jay Herbert kid that's coming in here. Jai, Jay, I don't know how he says his name. But... Yeah, he, he says it, um, I think it's Jai, which Jai. is odd. Uh, Jai Herbert, he's 10-1. It's his UFC debut. I was telling Kevin I was watching some of his fights on uh, the YouTube. And he has eight knockouts in his uh, 10 wins. And some of them are just catastrophic knockouts. Yeah. And... He's not known as a knockout guy. This guy's touted as one of the best BJJ guys in MMA. He fights in BJJ com- um, competitions all over the world, but he really hasn't had to use it because he's knocking people out on the feet so easily. So it should be very interesting. He's definitely a hot prospect, which everyone will be you know, kind of lining up to see. And then I did want to point out, uh, Kamzat Chemaev is fighting again. He fought July 15th. So he's making the quick turnarounds, the quickest turnaround in the history of the UFC, and he's going to fight Reese McGee, uh, who is 11-3, also making his UFC debut. They have, the one thing I would point out, 20 fights between the two guys. Only one um, has gone to the decision. Everything else. Uh, Kazma has two KOs, four submission victories in his 6-0 career. McGee is 11-3, seven, KO, seven KOs, four submissions. His only time he went to a decision, he actually lost that one. So 20 combined fights, only one has lasted the whole time. Wow. So that should be interesting. Did you want to get on the record with Jai Herbert in that? Yeah, I do. Okay. Absolutely. So we've got um, on the record selections, Robert Whitaker at minus 120 and Jai Herbert at plus 115 as our two picks uh, on this card that stand out to us right now. Anything else? that? Yeah, Nicholas Dalby, we were talking about him a little bit oh, before yeah. too. He's 19-3-1 um, in his career. He's fought in a ton of guys. He had a draw... Oh man, I can't remember. Uh, his last fight, he was he uh, beat Alex Oliveira in a um, in a unanimous decision. 
So, you know, he's been around. He is fighting Jesse Ronson. Jesse Ronson, who's making his UFC debut at 21-10. and 10. Ronson's actually 1-2 in his last three fights, and they weren't in the UFC. So I really liked Albi and his experience to, to kind of rise up and, and get that win there. Minus 260 on Dalby in that fight. Yeah. I don't want any part of that for the record then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, th- this guy's fought... Dolby's fought Zach Cummings, Peter Sabota. He has a draw against Darren Till. So he's definitely fought some of the top guys in the UFC in his career. Um, you know, should be a little less than Jesse Ronson. No disrespect to him, but a guy who's one and two in his last three fights outside the UFC. Yeah, uh, Tom, what's it, Alex Oliveira's recent record? Do you have that in front of you um, by chance? I, I know that he he certainly uh, is He's active. one and three in his last four. He's one and three in his last 19 four. 19 and eight overall. Yeah, and, you know, Peter Sabota has wins against Ben Saunders, Nicholas Dalby. Um, he lost. To, he got knocked out by Leon Edwards and Kyle Noak. Yeah. Um, so, but I think Sabota has a chance in that fight. He's a submission guy. He's got 10 subs in his 17 wins and 5 TKOs. He finished, he's finished 15 of his 17 wins. So, you know... It, in this may be a good opportunity in DraftKings. I don't know that I'm going to get on him um, on the record, but I do kind of like Peter Sabota in this fight against Alex Oliveira. You know, Oliveira is, is a wily old veteran who knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, Sabota needs to either take a step forward or he's going to be moving on from the UFC more than likely. So um, I, I kind of like Sabota in this fight, to be totally honest with you here. Another guy I really like is Mike Grundy. 12-1, uh, and one, he's 1-0 in the UFC. Uh, with a knockout, yeah, he's fighting Mosar Ivalev, who's also who's twelve and zero with two two and zero in the UFC. But Grundy just seems to have a ton of power uh, for for the featherweight division. I like Mike Grundy. A uh, couple late subs that are Mike, always Mike Grundy plus one sixty, Tom. Yeah, give me some of that. Okay, give me a unit on Grundy. All right, and a couple couple late subs that are always important to know when a guy gets a late sub. Sometimes. Uh, the, I feel like the veterans do better with this. You know, they're more prepared. They're more into their own stuff. So uh, Tanner Bozer is stepping in late. Uh, he's 18-6-1, in the UFC. He's subbing for Justin Taffa against Rafael Pessoa uh, Nunez, who's only 5-1, 1-1 in the UFC. So only six fights compared to Bozer's 25, stepping in on late notice there. And then uh, the first fight of the night is also that way. Nathaniel Wood. Three and one in the UFC. All three of his wins in the UFC are by submission. His last fight, he did lose in the UFC, but it was a knockout to John Dodson. Overall, sixteen and four. He's fighting John Costanda, who's making his UFC debut debut on short notice. It should be a very entertaining fight. Costanda is the Combat Americas champ and is listed as a very hot prospect. Um, everywhere you go to to read about him, people just talk about how well he's done. Uh, but again, a short notice fill in job against Nathaniel Wood, who's very good on the ground. Um, nine KO wins for Wood, five submission victories for him. Yeah, let's take a look at that line here for you. Um, yeah, Wood is a monster favorite yeah. at minus five hundred. Um, the the last one that I was just taking a quick look at was this uh, uh, Godzimirad Antigulov against Paul Craig. Yeah, Antigulov does not have a, a stellar record here, um, based on what I'm seeing. So. He's coming off a couple of losses. Um, 
I'm I'm not entirely sold that he's going to be able to hang in there with Paul Craig. Yeah, Craig last fight out was a draw with Shogun. So yeah, so Paul Craig has certainly seen some uh, competition that that maybe Antigulov hasn't. And um, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna lean Paul Craig in this fight. He is currently showing at minus 125. So I like Paul Craig to get the win over Antigulov. I'll put that on the record, too. All right. So that's it. I mean, it's going to be a very fun card. There's a ton of fights on this card. I think they said it's the most ever for a fight night. A lot of fights, a lot of interesting young people fighting, and then the main card has a lot of names that you know and are familiar with, which is a really nice balance for the UFC. Yeah. So it should be a good... I mean, that Whitaker-Till fight is a huge fight in that division. If, if you win, especially if you win impressively you may be able to, you know, weasel your way into a title shot here. Yeah. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. And anytime I can watch my boy Shogun fight, I'm interested. Absolutely. So I think that's it for the card tonight, right, Tom? That's it for tonight. Next week, another huge show, guys. Oh, no. We didn't do our fantasy football yet. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Kevin's trying to get off out of doing fantasy wideouts. Not at all. I was. I spent <laughs> a lot of time putting this together. I'd have been... Really irritated if we shut it down and didn't get to this. Fantasy wide receivers, guys. Yeah. Top 20, we went, each had to do our top 20. Uh, Let's do five at a time so we can keep it moving along okay. from 20 down to 15. Sure. I'll go here. My first my first one at 20, I have Stefan Diggs. I think uh, 94 targets last year. I think he's going to get more than that. John Brown is the number one receiver in Buffalo last year. Got 115 in only 15 games. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, I have at 19. Uh, Big Ben's back, rebound time. Uh, Terry McLaurin is at 18. I really wanted to put him higher, but Dwayne Haskins keeps me from doing that. Uh, 17, I have A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown really came to, into his own when Tannehill came in, uh, and I think more of the same next year. 16, I have Mike Evans. The question for Tampa Bay receiver is going to be how much, how many targets can he get you have Brady, you're going to have Gronk, you're going to have Goodwin. How many targets can Mike Evans get? All right, and 15? Oh, no, that was five. Yes, yeah. five. Yeah, don't mind me. It's late, and I've had a couple of drinks. Um, at 20 for me is A.J. Brown um, with Tennessee. I think mm-hmm. that he's going to be a great target there uh, long term. I don't think that he'll get the volume that he really needs to be a top 10 receiver, but I think he's got the skill set to be in that, that ballpark. Uh, 19 is Chris Godwin. Um, I think that he'll get his line. He'll get a, he'll get his share. I don't think that he'll get the lion's share. I think that'll go to Mike Evans overall. Um, but I've got one at nineteen, eighteen. I'm so let me let me just preface this a little bit here. I am projecting a couple of guys who are really talented receivers to be down for a couple different reasons. One of which is aging. You know, guys tend to just lose some targets and some other targets on their teams maybe stepping forward. 18 for me is T.Y. Hilton. I think he'll have a nice season. Um, I like T.Y. Hilton a lot. He's had injury problems. That's the reason that he's down here for me. And I don't know if Phillip Rivers is going to be able to, you know, get the deep ball to him. And yeah, it, Rivers has had a lot of good receivers over the years, but yeah, I, I just I don't have a ton of confidence in him, but he still cracks the top 20 for me. Uh, 17 is Julio Jones. Um, I have Julio Jones way down the list. 
and the primary reason for that is I, I expect massive growth out of Calvin Ridley this year. I think that he may steal a lot more targets from Julio Jones, and um, I, I think that this will be a situation where Jones also has had he's had health issues over the years, and that's going to slide him down the list for me. And 16 is Keenan Allen, who would be much higher on my list if he had a quarterback that I was confident was going to throw the ball a lot. Um, Tyrod Taylor is a game manager and doesn't tend to take a lot of chances if he ends up being the, the starting quarterback there. And Justin Herbert's a rookie. So I think that his quarterback situation is going to deteriorate his value just a little bit. Uh, 15, I have DJ Shark. DJ Shark, 1,000-yard receiver, eight touchdowns last year. I, I, 118 targets. I think second year of Minshew Mania should get him off to a faster start. Cooper Cup, I have at 14. Uh, I think that the, he would be higher. I mean, 94 catches, 10 touchdowns, 1,100 yards last year. But the question is, are they going to run more two tight end sets? Cooper Cup does most of his damage out of the slot. If you don't have three wide receivers, that's out the window. 13, I have T.Y. Hilton. Uh, T.Y. Hilton has been a top 10 wide receiver most of his, for fantasy. Most of his time in the NFL last year, he missed six games and fell out. But I think Rivers will be the one to just chuck the ball to him. Whether it's good or not remains to be seen. Uh, Kelvin Ridley, I have a 12. Um, another good year, 866 yards, seven touchdowns. He did miss three weeks. Um, and Atlanta throws the ball more than any other team in the NFL. Allen Robinson, I have at 11. Quietly had a good season, 98 catches, 1,100 yards received, 1,147, 1, and seven touchdowns, 154 targets last year, which is insane. The interesting thing will be Trubisky or Foles. Obviously, with Trubisky, he trusts him. He threw it to him a ton. We'll see if Foles impacts that at all. All right, 15 for me is Stephon Diggs, um, talented wide receiver who uh, will get plenty of targets as the number one option in Buffalo now. John Brown can slide back into a more suitable uh, second receiver situation, and uh, Diggs should be the main man for uh, the deep balls uh, if Allen can get them to him. And um, some of the red zone targets, I think, will be an option there as well. Um, 14, I have Devontae Parker. Uh, I think that regardless of whether it's Fitzpatrick or uh, Tua Tagovailoa throwing the ball to him, I expect growth from Devontae Parker to continue. He seemed to really hit his stride last season and had a really nice year. Uh, kind of under the radar on a team that was not successful at all early. Uh, 13, I have Cortland Sutton. Uh, Denver is... He's a guy that I think is a true number one receiver in the NFL. I loved him coming out of college. And I think that Drew Locke will take another step forward this year and expect Sutton to have a really nice year. 12 for me is Juju Smith-Schuster. I think that he's being um, a little bit undervalued because not only has he had some issues, but Roethlisberger wasn't there. So for me, with Roethlisberger's return, I think he looks to Smith-Schuster a lot. And I think we're going to have a lot of great value out of him. 11 is Kenny Galladay. Um, with the return of a healthy Matt Stafford, I expect Galladay to have a monster season. He seemed to really break out last year. Number 10, I got Bobby Woods. Uh, 90 catches, 1,134 yards. A remarkable only two touchdowns with 90 catches. That's got a, I mean, you would think the law of averages would catch up next year for him. And no more Brandon Cooks. I think that's a big help for him and Cooper. Uh, more Woods because he's a traditional outside receiver. Number nine, I have Chris Godwin, 1,300 yards receiving, nine touchdowns, and he only played in 14 games last year. That's craziness. Uh, the same question, though, the Brady, Gronk, Evans, how many targets will he get? The good thing for Godwin is he does. he's able to work in the slot a little bit, which Brady loves. 
eight, I have DeAndre Hopkins. 104 catches, 1,100 yards, seven touchdowns, 150 targets. The only reason he's not higher, new system, new car, new quarterback. Not sure what the target share will be. Uh, I would imagine he's still the number one there and still gets the most. But will it be all the way up to 150, which is a, a lion's share? Then I have DJ Moore. Last year, 87 catches, 1,175 yards, four touchdowns. And I think he's getting a better, more accurate quarterback this year in Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, DJ Moore is not exactly a deep threat. He likes to work the middle of the field, those slants, out routes, and that's Bridgewater's bread and butter as well. Kenny Galladay, number six. Had a very solid season with a bunch of schmucks at quarterback the second half of the year. If Stafford can be healthy for the whole season, like he, we may be talking about the number one wide receiver in fantasy if he can get there last year. Only 65 catches, but 1,100 yards and 11 touchdowns. Yeah, 10 for me is Terry McLaurin, um, despite the fact that, uh, you know, he, he's got a quarterback who wasn't great last year. I, I think that they were in a dysfunctional environment. Uh, Ron Rivera comes in this year. Uh, McLaurin, I think, will fl- will flourish with the continued development of Haskins, and I think that's inevitable. These guys are Ohio State guys. They know each other. He's going to continue to target him um, excessively, I believe. So uh, if he can stay healthy and... Um, see some kind of growth under Ron Rivera's tutelage. I expect a, a big season out of Terry McLaurin. Nine for me is Adam Thielen. Um, he steps into the number one role there in Minnesota. Not always certain that that's going to be great to lose your top option when you were kind of the second guy and having great success in it because now he may be the focal point of the defenses, but I think he's good enough to still make things work there. Um, eight for me is Calvin Ridley. I believe that he is climbing the ladder here. I believe he is loaded with talent and has been just kind of waiting in the wings to take over as the number one in Atlanta. And I expect him to have a tremendous season. Seven for me is Mike Evans. Um, I thought back on this, and, and Brady had a ton of success with Randy Moss, who was a go-up-and-get-it kind of guy down the field. Does Brady still have the arm strength to make that stuff happen? I think that Mike Evans is physical, great route runner, goes up and gets the ball. I don't see any drop-off coming here for Evans with the change at quarterback. Uh, six for me is Odell Beckham Jr. I believe that Odell Beckham will rebound and have a big season. He is too talented not to. So I'm going to go with Beckham here at six, expecting a return to the talent that he had in New York. All right, five. I have Amari Cooper. I think Amari Cooper, you know, with the additions to Dallas, you know, may slide a little bit, but 79 catches last year, 1,189 yards, eight touchdowns on 110 targets. Dak loves him. We all know the Amari surprise where he disappears for a week or two at a time, but Year in, year out, he's still putting up numbers with his best season company last year with Dak. I think the addition of um, C.D. Lamb is going to be helpful for Amari Cooper there in that wide receiver core. Then we have Devontae Adams. 83 catches, 997 yards, 5 touchdowns. He did miss 4 games. He averaged, if if it was a, he played a full 16 games, he again would have had over 150 targets. Can he stay healthy is the biggest thing. When he's on the field, he's good. Tyree kills my number 3. 860 yards, seven touchdowns, and but he missed five weeks. He was the number one fantasy wide receiver in 2018. Uh, again, with if you put in those five weeks, he would have been number two this year. Um, Julio Jones is my number two. 99 catches, 1,394 yards, six touchdowns. He has at least 1,394 yards in six years in a row. 
Uh, we've seen him do it before. Roddy White was on this team. Matt Ryan can support two stud wide receivers. That's why you have Ridley and Jones both still projected to do very well. And then Michael Thomas, I think it's a no-brainer for number one. He had 149 receptions, the NFL record, 1,725 yards, and nine touchdowns with 185 targets. Even if those targets come back to a pedestrian number of 150, his output is still going to be just insane. Tom and I had the same players at 5 and 4. I have Amari Cooper at 5 and Devontae Adams at 4. All the reasons that he detailed. I mean, uh, Amari Cooper, I think, is um, in a great situation there in Dallas now. And I think Devontae Adams is the true number one in Green Bay and will continue to be that way. Um, Three for me is DeAndre Hopkins. I don't expect the fall off with Kyler Murray. I think that Kyler Murray is going to continue to develop. And uh, I think that... DeAndre Hopkins is going to clearly take over as the number one receiver there, and he's got really nice compliments in Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk on that team. I don't think that they're going to steal all that many targets from him. Um, Rather help open him up a little bit because it's hard to double nuke when you've got those other two options on the field as well. Um, Two for me is Tyreek Hill. Um, You know, Cheetah, man, he's explosive. He can fly, and he's going to continue to make explosive plays all the time. So um, I like Tyreek Hill there. And number one is Michael Thomas, and I think that's kind of consensus across the board. He's just so good. He's so talented. And it's really hard for me to um, find any way to go another direction at number one in this. I mean, even if Breeze goes down, Winston's going to chuck it around. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Michael Thomas is going to continuously succeed in the NFL. He's so good. Yeah, he's a stud for fantasy, especially PPR leagues. He's nuts. Yeah. Next week. We're previewing the SEC football. We're going to talk about a little bit about basketball and hockey as they are making their return. Another UFC card, the FedEx St. Jude Invitational, and our top 20 fantasy running backs. So a lot to look forward to again next week. And let's recap quickly the wagers that we have for this weekend, Tom. Um, Can you pull up the baseball ones? I know you were writing those down. I'm going to recap the UFC ones for you first and foremost. Um, we've got uh, Kevin with selections of Robert Whitaker at minus 120 and Paul Craig at minus 125. And Tom, you know, giving you some underdog value here. Jai Herbert at plus 115 and Mike Grundy at plus 160. Yeah, and our over-unders for the baseball season. I went with the Cubs over 31.5, the Rays under 33.5, and, and the White Sox under 31.5. Kevin went with the Orioles under 20.5, the Marlins under 24.5, on the Rockies, over 27.5. Should be a lot of fun. And then um, we've got a couple of selections that we threw in for uh, golf this week. Uh, Tom went with Harris English at plus 3,000. And Tony Finau. And Tony Finau at plus 1,200. And I um, went with Henrik Norlander at plus 5,500 for this weekend. Um, so, you know, should be a, a fun week ahead of us. And uh, we'll start sh- get sharing this information that we're tracking for you now so that you can see exactly the kind of success that we're going to have. Again, check us out on Twitter. That's the, the number one place where we share our information. We're going to try and do a better job of getting that same stuff up on Instagram yeah. um, so that you guys can follow it there, Hammered Sports Podcast on Instagram, Hammered Sports Podcast on Facebook, and at Hammered underscore Sports on Twitter. Yeah, definitely check the Twitter page. We're always up sending out our DraftKings lineups. All right, guys, uh, it's been a great week again. Great show. Excited uh, for everybody to give us some feedback on what they think here. Um, until next time, see, see ya. ya.